All right. Now, let me get into this. We've, uh, we've been looking at what chair are you sitting in, and today we're going to look at the chair of confusion. Can you tell that that chair looks a little confused right there? Chair of confusion. James chapter 3, James, New Testament chapter 3. Find that. And then also, no, I'll just read the other one. James 3, verse 16. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and most of you probably know this scripture, when you talk about confusion, this is what usually that the preacher brings up in a sermon, and here it is. 1 Corinthians 14, 13, 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in, in all churches of the saints. Lord, take the words that we will speak here this morning, and I am praying, God, that it will be a help to every person here, and if there would be any person without Jesus, today is going to be a great day in their life because they're going to receive him as Savior and Lord. In Jesus we're praying, amen. Now, let me take the time to set the stage. In the Old Testament, the prophet is seated across the table from a king. The king is offering him money to curse the people of God. And of all things, this prophet is pondering this thing over to whether he's going to do it or not, and finally comes to the conclusion that yes, he's going to try to curse the people of God. Balaam, in his lifetime, sits in all three chairs. Balaam begins in the chair of commitment, and I feel like that I can prove this. From there, he goes from that chair to the chair of compromise, and eventually his life ends up in the chair of confusion. Moses, one of the most gifted, one of the greatest men ever to live. Nothing came out of the mouth of Moses as eloquent and touching as what came out of Balaam's mouth. Let me give you just a handful of these that he said. In Numbers chapter 23, Balaam, who can count the dust of Jacob? And even the number of the fourth part of Israel. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my latter times be like his. Same chapter, verse 21. Wonderful verse. God has not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither has he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him and the shout of a king is among them. He's being paid to curse the people of God, but every time his mouth opens, it is a blessing that is coming out. 
In 20, chapter 24, verse 5, how goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacle, O Israel. And I don't think it's the color of the tent that he's talking about. I think on this mountaintop that he is on, Balaam is seeing a sight that he's never saw in his life. He's seeing a configuration that he's never saw in his life. And the moment he sees it, he knows God's in that. Because what he is seeing is the shape of a cross. Because the tabernacle is in the middle and three tribes to the north, three tribes to the south, three tribes to the east, and three tribes to the west. But the three tribes to the south, one of those tribes is Judah. And Judah is double the size of any other tribe. So what you see is the sign and the symbol of the cross was what Balaam was seeing thousands of years ago. And the Spirit of God wells up within him and said, how goodly are the tents of Israel. It was a symbol that he had never seen before. Calvin called Balaam an imposter. I don't think so. I think Balaam was a man that found himself on a downward path and a downward spiral where at one time he had been so committed unto the Lord God because I don't think anybody can say what he said unless the Spirit of God would have been on them. Give you the last one. And of all the things he said, this is the one that gets me the most. I mean, and this, he's talking about Jesus here. You can find a little star by your scripture there that makes reference to the Messiah. He says, thousands of years before Jesus was, was uh, born on this earth, he says these words, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not yet. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. The power and might of God was on this man as he sat in the chair of commitment, but this guy was willing to sell his gift because the king Balak said to Balaam, I will give you whatever you want if you will curse Israel. And listen to the words of Balaam because they are telling. He says, I wouldn't sell my gift. No, not for even, let's say, a house full of silver and gold. That's what was on his mind. I wouldn't sell my gift for a house full of silver and gold. And that was the downward spiral that that man began on. And I think back, listen to the words of Simon Peter. When the, when the beggar was begging from him and Simon Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee, and in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That man, uh, Peter, did not have silver and gold, but he had what money couldn't buy, and that was the touch of God on his life. Amen. The sad demise of Balaam ends like this in Joshua 13. Israel killed Balaam the soothsayer. His life ends in witchcraft and sorcery, commitment, compromise, confusion. The Azusa Street Revival began April 14, 1906, and it began in the red-hot seat of commitment. 
with William Seymour, that black preacher leading that congregation, even then, think of that, 1906. Then women in that congregation were given the opportunity to teach and to preach 10 years before they was given the right to vote. God was using that congregation to where it would reach every state in the union and would reach 35 different countries around the world. And yet they got to where they was in the seat of compromise. And I hate to say it, but the Azusa Street revival, by all accounts, ended in witchcraft. They went from commitment to compromise to total confusion. And all that's left there now, a hundred plus years later, is a street sign in a vacant lot as the building is not even there e anymore. In Numbers 13, the spies are sent into Israel and as they come, are sent into the promised land and as they come back, because here they had commitment. And then they fell into compromise. And now they're in confusion because of what leaders of Israel is saying. Ten of the twelve said, we can't take it. We're like grasshoppers. What did it do? Brought confusion to everybody. When the head starts saying confusing things, everybody's going to be confused. Amen. We can't do it. Joshua and Caleb just stand up and literally preach a sermon to try to get them convinced that they can do it. No, we can't do it. We're grasshoppers. We're grasshoppers in their sight. I don't think any of them went over and like Phil Donahue and stuck a mic in the, in the giant's mouth and said, are, are, what, what do you think about these people? Well, they're grasshoppers. That didn't happen. But what, what they're doing, they're projecting. How they see themselves, they think, everybody else sees me that way. And we're nothing but grasshoppers. Brought confusion. Five months ago, four or five months ago, I'm coming back from St. Louis, making a hospital visit. I'm coming back, and, I, and I'm, I'm, well, I obey the speed limit for the most part. And, but there was a car that's in front of me that's one of these uh, fuel savers that are going to save the planet, you know, uh, because they're driving a Yugo or whatever it was. And I'm barreling up on it. And when I come up on it, it's got bumper stickers all over it. Paps Blue Ribbon. Over here it had, a, had the word devil with a picture of what people think the devil looked like, this red guy with these horns. Then there was a cross on the bumper sticker. The words that I've never seen linked together in my life, I wrestle pigs. <laughs> I ain't making it up. I wrestle pigs. There was the coexist word with each letter representing a different religion, which I'll just tell you, I'm not a real politically correct guy. I think that little bumper sticker stinks. And I'm going to tell you one of the reasons why I think that. 
because of the very first letter out of the gate, C. It's the crescent. It's the symbol for Islam, and they ain't for no coexisting. Yeah, I am right. They ain't for no coexisting. Here, I am right. I know that little sign, you know, people think they feel good about having that sign on their car, but uh, Islam ain't for coexisting, no doubt about that. And I drive, I'm, I'm passing the guy now, and I see these little bitty pumpkins that's glued all over his dashboard. And I ain't against hey, I, pumpkins. One, I mean, if they're in the shape of a pie, I think they're awesome. <laughs> I ain't got nothing against no pumpkins. I'm just telling you that as the facts were unfolding before me. You got these pumpkins. But then, this was the one that beat them all. He's got glued on his dashboard the little figurines of Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And then with pumpkins glued around them. <laughs> and then as I pass by and I'm looking, I just can't hardly believe what I'm all seeing. And it's back in the summer months, he is wearing a Sherlock Holmes type hat. And it's summer months. And I'm thinking, man, did I just see all that? So when I pass him, I slow down. And then he has to go around me, and I'm looking at all of it again. Seen all of that. And the words out of my mouth were these. I said it out loud. That guy is confused. <laughs> He's confused. God tells us that he is not the author of confusion. If you've heard me preach over the years, you've heard me use these, these two words, fop and fof. Fear of people and fear of failure. And when I was in high school, I could not even have and go to a speech thing to where you had to go and in your class you had to make a speech. I couldn't do that. That was totally the last thing on my mind that I'd ever do. Fear of people. And then the fear of failure, and I've mentioned this before, every time, every time, every time we go to branch out and to do something or to build something, fear is there present that I've got to squash because if I don't, it will stop what God wants to do here. Fear of failure keeps too many people down. Well, I'd try it, but I might fail. I heard Billy Graham say he's tried things, and it's failed, and I thought if Billy Graham can say that, who am I? I can say the same thing. I can say the same thing. Confusion translates into fear. It's what the enemy tells me. When you fail, everybody in the county is going to be laughing at you. i got to squash that. I got to rise above that. There are too many people and too many things at stake for me to think it's just all about me and how people perceive me to be. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. You know, here's what I'm convinced of. 
I'm convinced that God wants his people to be clean. Now, I think in today's society, we don't have that as a criteria. As long as we say, Lord, here am I, that, well, that should be good enough for God. And yet, we don't live under that same set of rules ourselves. You go to the restaurant, and they bring your soup out, and they bring the spoon out, and the spoon's got some crud on it. Oh, look at that. That's got some crud on it. Well, you know, I'll take care of that. Mm. There, it's clean now. Ain't nobody going to do that. You're going to make a scene. Hey, 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 hey. And I tell my mom, don't make too big a scene. Any, people that wait on you and bring your food out, don't make them mad. You don't know what they're doing back there. Don't make them mad. But the very level that we would reach to where we demand it to be clean, I think God demands his servants to be clean. God demands his servants to be at a particular level of consecration to him. And I'm telling you why. If you'll get there, there won't be so much confusion in your life. Numbers 14, the people of God were griping against God and Moses. Picture that. Griping against God and Moses. So, I, I, you know, I shouldn't, lose, I shouldn't lose it when people gripe against me. They griped against God and Moses. And men, I'm not going to side with you in this. I'm just not. There, most men out there think that, well, women, they just, they just gripe and they gripe more than men. And I'm not going to side with you on it. I don't believe it. Don't believe it. They're better at it, but, 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 but that don't mean they do more of it. They're better. Oh. Oh, my, okay. Um, Israel was delivered from Egypt. Share of commitment. Israel had a mixed multitude within them. Share of compromise. How many seen Ten Commandments? So we know what Moses looks like. He looks like Charlton Heston. <laughs> the mixed multitude sounds like Edward G. Robinson. You didn't know he's in that movie, did you? He's the one griping all the time. Well, that Moses. That Moses led us out of Egypt. That Moses. You know, he's in all them gangster movies, and they put him in that movie. It's like, that just don't make any sense. <laughs> that Moses leading us out here for us to be killed, to be swallowed up by the desert. That Moses. Griping, griping, griping. Mixed multitude. Had some faith, but a whole lot of doubt. Had some doubt, a whole lot of faith. Had some just, just mix, 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 mix all the time. Instead of people like... Joshua and Caleb saying, we are well able to overcome it. Let's take it and let's do it now. And the mixed multitude said, oh, we just don't know about that Moses. And they had to wait for 40 years 
and they would travel, and they'd be around this mountain for a while, and then they'd come over here, and they'd be for a while. Then they'd come over here and be for a while. Then they'd come over here and be for a while. You know why that was? So they could have a new place to bury people. The unbelief were dying off. Those that said, well, that Moses, I wasn't like that Moses, that. They complained against God and Moses. Israel was delivered from Egypt. Israel had a mixed multitude. Israel told Aaron, make us a God of gold that we can worship. They're now confused. Let me tell you just a fact of life here. If you're confused about who God is, your whole life will be confused. How many here has ever had, this is in the days of, of photographs on paper. How many here have a bad photo of you that somebody had and you just really hated like, oh, I hate that they've got that. Because it's like you're saying that really don't represent who I am. You know, it's like the gal that had to set for the painting and told the painter, said, uh, would you, uh, uh, no, I better not tell her. All right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll go ahead and tell it. <laughs> and he, she said, would you do, would you do me uh, uh, justice? And, and, uh, she, and he said, lady, with a face like you, you don't need justice. You need mercy. <laughs> All right, where was I going with this? You got a bad paint, or you got, not painting, you got a bad photograph of you floating around there that somebody's got. And he's like, oh, I don't like that. Anytime. We misrepresent who God really is. It's like a bad photograph floating around of him. And he don't like that. He's not really representing who he really is. The God right here of this Bible, well, if we want to know what he looks like, you got to get right here. Got to get right here. Now, this whole thing with the chairs, can you see how confused this chair is? This is pretty confused. Seat's all messed up. It's pretty confused. You don't get that way where one day you're committed and you're sold out to Jesus and the next day you look, it don't happen like that. It's the deceptiveness of the gradual. It's a gradual thing. Gradual. About three or four years ago, a woman, she showed up here at the church. She had to do some tests on me. It was for insurance that the church get on me. I don't know, one deacon meeting, I, that time the church had, uh, oh, $500,000 on me or whatever it was. And I said, well, you know, if I'd kick off, you know, kick the bucket, whatever, uh, church had 500000 they'd get everything paid and just be able to do some things. And, and George, he's going, eh, preacher, that really ain't right. We don't have 500000 on you. And I'm thinking he's going to say four hundred or whatever. He says, we got a million dollars on you. When you die, we're looking to expand. <laughs> But here this woman, she shows up, and she's a nurse, and, and she's, well, here, I got I to gotta check your, you know, different things. And, and I'm thinking, well, you know, where you want to go? Well, we can do this right here in the coffee shop. And I said, well, all right, and, and prop, your, prop your foot up here and take your boot off and do this. And, and then take your, unbutton this button. And then she goes, well, you know, I can't really get to it there. You know, unbutton this other button. And she goes, well, I can't really, you know, just unbutton all your buttons. And, 
you know, she, I'm propped up here, and she got, I'm, I'm on, all unbuttoned, and I'm look, thinking, you know, right here in the coffee shop, you got all these windows, you got people going by and everything, and, and I'm thinking, if I'd had this do over again, I'd have told her, no, we ain't doing it right here. We're doing this somewhere else. But it was just like, you know, one button's done, you know, then this one, then that one, then this one, then that one, and prop your foot up here, and take road to do this and do that, and it was a gradual process. Gradual process. You all know this to be true. Monty Dash hadn't seen me in years. Co walks into this church and takes a look at me. And last time he seen me, I was a senior in high school. And he looked at me and says, No! <laughs> it's the deceptiveness of the gradual <laughs> over time. Lot is a nephew to Abraham. The Bible says that Lot looked toward Sodom. Lot faced his tent towards Sodom. Lot is now living in Sodom. Lot tries to leave and take his family out of Sodom, but he cannot get all of his family out of Sodom. He led them in, but he couldn't lead them out. Amen. Commitment, compromise, confusion. I'll leave you with another illustration. The Valley of Elah. It was interesting to be able to go there this past year where David and Goliath fought. Israel going out to war. Commitment. Israel heard King Saul say, he's mighty big. I better stay here in my tent. I better not go out and face him. Compromise. Then they heard the words of Goliath. Send me somebody out to fight. Now it was confusion and fear was in them all. You know what happens every Sunday morning here? We're trying to get you to see the value of commitment and having commitment in Jesus. You know how we do that? We do that through what you see here and what you hear here. You know how the enemy's going to try to get you to sit in the seat of compromise and the seat of confusion? What he can get you to see and to hear. It's a battle over the very same avenues that we've got to be able to get into your life, the enemy uses those exact same avenues. We want you to sit in the chair of commitment. The enemy wants you to sit in the chair of compromise that will lead eventually to the chair of confusion. If we're ready, give me those, uh, that list of names if we've got that. Jonathan Edwards. Who was Jonathan Edwards? I'll say this, and it should be enough for us all to understand. Ben Franklin said he's the greatest public speaker I've ever heard. Puritan preacher. Jonathan Edwards had a neighbor by the name of Max Jukes. Keep that one up there. That's fine, just like that is. Somebody that worked for the New York Times, I believe it was, or some paper in New York found out about these two men 
Probably he did this about 25 years ago, and he run their ancestry. Jonathan Edwards, the Puritan preacher, Max Jukes, the atheist. What he found out, and you can all read, and I hate when people read to me, but I'm going to read for the people that's listening to the CD. What he found out that Jonathan Edwards had 1,394 descendants. Of those, 13 were college presidents. 65 were college professors. 295 were college grads. Three were U.S. senators. 30 were judges. 100 were lawyers. 60 were doctors. 75 army officers. 100 preachers. 60 book authors. 80 city officials and one vice president of the United States. Now give me Max Jukes. Max Jukes had 1,200 descendants. Of those, 400 were alcoholics, 200 drug addicts, 310 panhandlers, 130 convicted criminals, 60 professional pickpockets, seven were convicted murderers. 20 people in Max Jukes' family learned to trade 10 of those 20 learned their trade while in prison. I said on, the, on day one of this sermon, preacher, it don't matter if where I sit, I don't have to sit in the chair of commitment. And what I said was, if you don't, it will show up in your children. Showed up in his children. He didn't believe God didn't trust God. He wasn't going to obey the book. He was going to do what Max wanted to do. And that's what exactly how this man lived his life. And it showed up in his children. And the Puritan preacher lived and did everything that he knew to do was right according to the word of God. And it was a blessing to his children. Parents, it pays to stay in the seat of commitment. Because the next generation will live in compromise, and the third generation will live in confusion. Let's all stand. Lord, what the enemy wants to do is to get people's mind off of the chair of commitment and God to get our mind on a million other things and voices that this world has to offer. Help us, Lord Jesus, to know the importance of commitment to you and God staying in that seat, staying in that chair, not being bought off, not looking another way, not being compromised, not having confusion, but God staying committed unto you. For, Lord, the blessings will be forever and forever and forever. And, God, I pray for someone here this morning without Jesus Christ that you're going to speak to them, you're going to knock on their door, and, God, they're going to receive of you this day by accepting you. And, Lord, little things mean a lot. Just a prayer. But, God, your word says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah for that. In Jesus we're praying. Amen. Seated on your throne of grace, it's only by your mercy we are saved. 
Jesus. 
prayer that you have been blessed as you've listened to this message. If you would like to become a partner with this ministry, please contact us here at Orchardville Church. You can visit our website at orchardvillechurch.com or you can contact us by phone at area code 618-835-2677. saw Jesus